My name is Peter Squire. I am the Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board's Vice President of External Relations and Market Intelligence. Welcome to The Voice, where we invite government and community leaders to discuss topics important to you. In attending the April Winnipeg Real Estate Forum, I took in some highly informative panel discussions. One was on development across Winnipeg and the role of the city in facilitating project approvals to supporting infrastructure activity. The panel was top drawer and included presenters such as the City of Winnipeg's Director of Planning, Property and Development, John Kiernan, and Greg Rogers, CEO of UM Properties LP. It noted the unprecedented activity across Canada in urban revitalization and development that shined a light on Winnipeg. It delved further into how Winnipeg is planning and enabling future growth through new projects that are being approved. One of them that is set to commence this year is the development of the Southwood lands adjacent to the University of Manitoba, which will eventually establish a mixed-use neighborhood comprising of up to 10,000 dwelling units. It is a major redevelopment area site taking full advantage of the 2020 completion of Winnipeg Southwest Bus Rapid Transit Way, which goes right into their site area. Heading up this exciting new major infill development for Winnipeg is UM Properties LP's Greg Rogers. Welcome to my podcast, Greg. For starters, Greg, as a born and raised Winnipegger, how do you see this city now after being away for many years on a successful commercial real estate career in Ontario? It feels great to be back. I've been away for, for almost 30 years or so. Coming back to live has been really energizing. I would say Winnipeg is very different, as most places are. Uh, over the past 25, 30 years, things have changed quite a bit, but all for the positive. And Winnipeg is more diverse. I think it's more resilient. And I feel like it's energized. You know, growing up here, 70s and 80s, you know, it was, it felt like a mostly white community. Opportunities were limited. Uh, Winnipeg exported a lot of people. Winnipeg is, Winnipegers are known outside of Winnipeg as being friendly, fun, and capable. But now we have a new wave of Canadians that came here for the opportunity of a better life. They're bringing their families, they're bringing entrepreneurship, they're bringing a work ethic, they're bringing fresh business investment, they're bringing healthy competition, and it's working. It's attracting industry, it's creating jobs, and it's bringing more people. So I think Winnipeg has terrific energy. It's got a great quality of life. It's great when I go to the park now, Assiniboine Park, it's packed with people, uh, people from all over the world uh, who are enjoying the fine amenities that the city has to offer. So I think that's great. I think the pandemic has proved that you don't have to live in a big expensive city. Winnipeg has a superior value proposition and it works. So you can feel the energy here when you go to the Forks, the football games, returning here after 30 years just leaves me feeling really quite energized. I'm optimistic about Winnipeg's growth prospects. Really appreciate the perspective and, and view because people that have never left the city and have been here for years, I was actually away for a while in Alberta, but I've certainly come back to appreciate my hometown. But yeah, no, I, I think it's really neat to get that perspective when you haven't been here for so long. So thanks for sharing that with, with our audience. And now the, the next question is, 
For our listeners, please paint a picture and give them a real sense of the magnitude of the Southwood Lands project that brought you back to Winnipeg to head up. Oh, this is a fun one. You know, this is the biggest infill residential project in Winnipeg, likely in the history of Winnipeg. It's 112 acres, so it's a giant site. It's been a golf course pretty much forever. Uh, For the last decades, it's been mostly a dog park, I guess. Uh, I joined here just over two years ago and started a process of getting a secondary plan approved, followed by zoning and subdivision. We're just in the latter process now, but the secondary plan approves 10,000 multifamily residential units that will have embedded within it up to 500,000 square feet of retail commercial. So all the buildings in the community will be multifamily. Many will be mixed use. The buildings will range in height from 25 floors, uh, and that's at the south end adjacent to the university, to four floors as the development nears the residential communities that surround the university. The tall buildings will include retail and services at grade. The south boundary of the community is Sifton Road, which is right across the street from St. Andrew's College. That's planned to become a retail corridor that'll provide walkable access for Southwood residents, for university employees, staff, and students, and provide them access to grocery-anchored retail restaurants, bars, banks, that kind of stuff. You know, the daytime population, University of Manitoba, is 40,000 people. And it's really quite remarkable that there's so little good multifamily housing available within a walking distance. So, you know, if anybody now wants on campus to live nearby, walkable to go to a restaurant or a bank or even a dentist, you got to get in a car and drive. So this community is going to be serving a lot of pent-up demand uh, in the community. It will, though, have a much broader appeal to the marketplace. Everyone from first-time home buyers to families to empty nesters to seniors. Uh, it'll include the affordable segment, the mid-range segment, the luxury segment. You know, the setting along the river amongst the old-growth trees. That's going to become a, a large park. Is a great amenity. All of the amenities that the university has to offer, world-class fitness, concert halls, performing arts, all that stuff. It's great. You know, when I was developing for Minto down in Florida, we would build a great big clubhouse and a fitness facility and all this stuff. And then you would sell homes and they would fly off the shelf here. That stuff already exists uh, exponentially more so than we would ever develop for a five or 10,000 unit community down in Florida. So this, I think, is going to be a very popular location. What's the mix, Greg, between uh, ownership and rental? What do you see that being? Uh... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's going to ebb and flow. Um, sure. You know, right now, there's a lot of rental being developed. So does that you know, squeeze down the opportunity mm-hmm. to develop rental at the moment? Things always ebb and flow, as you know, in the market. Sure. You know, at the end of the day, you know, in my mind, it's probably half rental, half condo. Of both categories, you would have everything from affordable to medium to luxury, uh, from individual housing to families to empty nesters. Yeah, each of the categories will cover the full spectrum. It's the nature of development in Winnipeg. You have to be diverse. It's also the best thing for a community to be diverse. So I'm excited about that. What should we expect to see built and completed in the next five to 10 years? There's three broad phases to the project. Our outside forecast right now is that this is going to take 40 years. If we get off on the right foot and get some good momentum, it could easily take 20 years. So that's our hope. Do a good job and things will move more quickly. The first phase is... 
about 2,500 units worth of density on about 30 acres immediately north of St. Andrews College along the river. About 90% of the land that is east of University Crescent between University Crescent on the river is our first phase. Mm-hmm. I never like using our best land first, but I think it's it's the right way to layer out from the university a solid community and to establish the amenities beyond what's already provided by the university, such as grocery anchored retail up front. So first phase is about 2,500 units, a combination of rental and condo on top of about 80,000 feet of grocery anchored retail. Is there a priority on building housing that will accommodate students given the significant demand that has resulted from welcoming many foreign students to U of M over the last few years? Yeah, there's a deficit of student housing for sure. The university is exploring right now putting additional student housing units on campus. And there's a group that has supplied new student-specific housing at Pemina and Chancellor. Uh, We're not going to be producing or developing any student-specific housing. I mean, there will for sure be parents that are going to buy or rent a unit for their son or daughter going to university. There's going to be graduate students, stuff like that. But it's all going to be consumption of market housing. our, Our focus is going to be on the full spectrum of market housing, excluding student-specific housing. Okay, thanks. Are, are you going to be able to maximize residential density to take full advantage of the Southwest Rapid Transit way? Yeah, transit is a backbone. You just go to Toronto and look at all the density that's sitting on top of subway nodes and you, you, you see how important it is. You know, it, it's a really attractive proposition if it's well done to the average resident. If you get rid of your car, you're going to save 15 or 20,000 bucks a year in gas and insurance and storage and repairs and all that stuff. Imagine having 20 grand in, in cash flow that you can spend on a higher priority, recreation, family, travel, whatever. So transit is really important. Um, right now, transit in Winnipeg is bleeding money like crazy. But the long-term solution, because it's a long-term investment, is to densify the transit transit nodes. And so here we have 10,000 units, a population potentially long-term of 20,000 people sitting on top of multiple transit stops because the bus rapid transit system uh, runs along the south boundary of Southwood. So we're extending the Sifton Road uh, from University over to Bomer Trail, bringing the bus rapid transit to phase one, at which point it'll uh, travel down University Crescent over to Defoe and then back up. Uh, longer term, it's going to get extended further onto campus. So the bus rapid transit system extends over to Sydney Smith Street and runs right through the campus to Defoe. Having that kind of transit accessibility is, is key to ridership. So my focus is really on creating convenient access, walkable access, no longer than five minutes, warm places to wait for the bus. Mm. And, and then giving people an opportunity to, to make that choice easily and happily versus getting in their car and going wherever it is they need to go. In your view, based on your active engagement on the Winnipeg Real Estate Forum Development Panel and your experience in other cities which you have lived in, what are some of the steps the city needs to take to enable more exciting projects like yours to come to fruition? That's a good question. You know, I've developed or uh, asset managed real estate in every city in the country with the possible exception of uh, Kelowna. 
And, you know, some are worse than Winnipeg. I would say Winnipeg is a little bit better than average. Uh, you know, the, the reality is they, all the municipalities have been succumbing for decades to bureaucracy and politics. You know, that's all resulted in longer delivery times, supply deficits, and higher costs. Winnipeg is, is no exception. So how do you fix it? Well, you know, process is a big part of it. You know, you get people whose job security depends on having something to do. So uh, adding process to process is a good way of keeping your job for some. And so, you know, every few years, you got to go in and clean out your closet and straighten out these processes, clean them up. There's always an opportunity to streamline. I think that needs to to be, you know, a, a regular best practice is every five years you, re, you review your processes. Equity is a huge part of the equation, though. And by that, I mean providing developers with access to appeal mechanisms where politics and or bureaucracy are frustrating a project. That's critical. When Ontario, when the Ontario Liberal government eliminated the Ontario Municipal Board, development ground to a halt and prices went through the roof. When the Conservative government reintroduced the LPAT, as it's now called, the appeal mechanism, and added provincial zoning directions the supply, the backlog quickly reversed. So it's important because if you don't have a proper balance of power, if someone at the city can just say, whether it's because they don't like you or they're mm -hmm. having a bad day that <laughs> you're not going to get what you've asked for, then you need, to, you need a way to appeal. Coordination is a big thing too. You know, the city of Winnipeg, I think planning is, is running really well. Like the planners are aligned with policy. They have a good sense of built form. They're good. Public works, uh, water and waste are struggling under cost pressures. You know, there's lots of deferred maintenance. They don't have enough money. Uh, they're not coordinated with planning. And they tend to be the more difficult of the groups to deal with. And they're making standards decisions that are challenging. For example, in Winnipeg, there's never going to be, according to the standards that exist today for tree spacing and boulevards, mm. there's never going to be another River Heights. And nobody's going to know for 20 years when they go to a new community and say, well, wait a minute, this is now old growth trees. Why doesn't it look like River Heights? Well, the answer is the tree spacing is twice what it is in River Heights because the guys with the lawnmowers don't like turning and turning around so much. You know, those kinds of things are, are they need to be carefully watched and managed because you are impacting the long-term community experience. And, you know, you don't want to look barren in 20 years after development of community. You want to look mature, like, you know, River Heights is a great example. Lots of big trees. Coordination also at the province is really important. There's a North End sewer plant they've been talking about for a decade that's going to take about a decade to build. And the city is about 24 months away from having to restrict building permits in the North End. Now, that's good for me. It's ridiculous for the city. Right. So they, they need to solve that, break that impasse, because the lack of sewage capacity is hitting the supply of housing in, in Winnipeg. It, it needs to get worked out. Well, th thanks for that. That's a really good overview. And uh, I think with an election this year, we will be looking for, you know, those candidates that are running to to address some of the issues you've just brought up. Obviously, uh, we've seen price increases go up significantly in our local market, more than we've seen in years. And, yeah. and part of that, it, as you know, Greg, is because we haven't had some of the, the active uh, supply that would be necessary to, to, to help our existing MLS inventory uh, mm -hmm. alongside, you know, with, with the, the new construction that would be necessary or, and will be necessary in the future to, to get us uh, in more balance. 
My last question, do you think Winnipeg is ready to grow up, not just out? Yeah, you know, Winnipeg is a single family driver city. Yeah, it is. It, that's its tradition. I, I think this is going to change and it is changing as a result of costs and priority shifting. You know, moving out of the city to a house you can afford, accepting commute costs that last year were half what they are today. That's going to motivate people to come back into the city. Uh, you know, Winnipeg needs to support that potential reverse migration by encouraging more housing and more of that needs to be multifamily. I know the city's own policy plans for, I think it's 40% of all new housing in Winnipeg by 2030. Or it's actually 50%. Is that what it yeah. is? Yeah, okay. they, they want to see a 50% uh, infill versus uh, greenfield yeah. in the built up portion of our city. So I think that's, that's great. So if you're going to do that, then um, I think they need to commit. So, you know, there was a building that went up in, uh, South Winnipeg, a proposal. I think they proposed 12, got knocked down to eight. It should have been 20, right? So like, what's up with that? Uh, I, I think there, there is another proposal that the Moray Bridge, you know, it, it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was knocked down. It was, it's, it's a very logical location for tall density and, uh, you know, organized NIMBYism has unfortunately um, caused a reduction in what could be terrific supply. You know, um, I think the city could pay a little bit more attention to design because I think there's an opportunity also to, as, as these projects come up, it's, it's easier to approve a taller building if they're designed nicely, put a step or a check after the third floor to mitigate wind impacts, mm-hmm. mitigate- I know as a developer, there's cost pressures and every check and change in articulation in a building is costs money, but I think long-term it pays off. Maybe just on that uh, height and going higher, in your experience, have you seen parking less requirements in other cities? I hear Edmonton now is loosening parking requirements up because not everyone's going to require a car. And it it was Mm. kind of, in Edmonton's case, they're saying, let the market decide. Why are we being so stringent on what how many uh car spaces you need for for your development yeah and that's the right answer in toronto on subway locations i was doing parking as low as zero now you come to winnipeg and then they're saying well it has to be a minimum of 1.5 cars per year why (laughs) if i'm the developer i'm putting up all the money and uh somebody you know and i so i'm at risk that people don't want to buy my units or rent my units because i didn't provide enough parking that's that's my risk it's no risk to the city it's no harm to them if there's not enough parking so yeah that, that's an oddity to me that that goes back to you know there's a whole bunch of issues with the planning tradition and you know how they used to separate uses mm-hmm. parking all that stuff now I, I think you know we need to think about about effective integration of of transit of active transportation of walking paths and, you know, you've got to think about that sensibly. I'm working with the city right now. They want to, they want to provide a cycling trail on University Crescent. Mm-hmm. I want to weave it into a green space strip that's lined with trees along University Crescent. And, you know, they would prefer to knock the trees down and put mm-hmm. asphalt beside the road because that's their standard. Well, okay, but just step back a little bit and address this issue of standards uh, in, a, in a sober way that gets us a nicer city, maybe more well-clustered trees, maybe less parking. But unfortunately, developers are, I don't know what happened to the brand of developers, but generally speaking, the, the broader community and 
the uh, bureaucracy at the city is is not we're not everybody's favorite person notwithstanding we provide a pretty vital supply of of housing responding to changing needs and requirements but that's a, that's a bigger issue a bigger problem for another podcast well anyway no thanks again i, I mean it, it sounds like just to finish off on that growing up not just out there they're starting to recognize we do need to grow up but there's still some a number of things required to get to that point right yeah there really are i mean another one is schools so i met with schools yeah we want a school we want eight acres you know i, I did an urban school at young and eglinton in toronto it's on three and it's integrated into a building so if you take an extra five well that comes right off the housing base so yeah, I think um, mm-hmm. working with the developers uh, is important. I think bringing outside developers into the city, people who have done this in big uh, cities around the world is also very helpful uh, just to help people you know, over this hump. Like the first, when I show this project to friends of mine in Toronto, they go, that's all? <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, we would develop twice as much there. Right. And it would be very nice. It would be really beautiful. But, you know, you can only go so far. Well, if it's 40 years, you may be able to do more than you think. So let, let, let's let give uh, it time. We'll see if I'm lucky enough to be around to see the end of it. Well, anyway, thanks again, Greg. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out to uh, speak to me today. Well, it's, it's fun stuff. And, you know, it's, it's easy to point fingers and uh, hawk rocks. But, you know, the reality is we're all in this together. And it's fun finding new solutions. So these kinds of conversations are good to have. Anyway, yeah. thanks again. My pleasure. Anytime. I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in today. We look forward to having you back for our next episode.